So we broke this interview into segments because there was so much good content. If you are just joining us, please do make sure to go back and listen to part one. Okay, going in five, four, three, two. I'm Heidi Berkey. And I'm Rachel Goebel. And this is the Ethical Storytelling Podcast. Gotta keep it fun. (laughs) Welcome to the Ethical Storytelling Podcast Power Dynamics Series. We have three incredibly special guests for this series who come from a diversity of backgrounds and cultures. Janelle Aldred is guest hosting these interviews, and we're grateful for her expertise and questions. Um, If you haven't already, please do go back and listen to our intro episode between Janelle and I talking about why this season in particular is so important and the thought behind this series. Today, we have the honor of talking with Lisa Sharon Harper, one of the smartest women I have ever met. From Ferguson to New York, Germany, South Africa to Australia and Brazil, Lisa Sharon Harper leads trainings that increase clergy and community leaders' capacity to organize people of faith toward a just world. She's a prolific speaker, writer, and activist, and is also the founder and president of FreedomRoad.us, a consulting group dedicated to shrinking the narrative gap in our nation by designing forums and experiences that bring common understanding, common commitment, and common action. Lisa, thank you so much for saying yes to spending time with us today. I think they're just there's there is a come to Jesus moment happening all over the world. It's oh, global yeah. right now. There's a come to Jesus moment because I think that we have we've nearly exhausted the road that this goes to, like the the road of white supremacy, not just white supremacy, white nationalism that's rising up all over the world. And I think we are at a point where we need to choose. People are organizations, governments, um, churches, denominations are really at a point where we have to choose the way we're going to take because our governments are actually choosing that way. And we are either going to follow that course or we are going to resist that and go another way. And so here in the United States, we I don't know what your politics is, but as a woman of color, I know that I weep regularly watching the news when I, I weep for young children, 16-year-olds who die mm. in cages on our southern border. I, I weep um, for the, the river of hashtag lives that came um, into our consciousness since 2014, actually starting with Trayvon Martin and then going forward. Um, I weep on a regular basis because the ones who are governing our, our, our nation right now um, are governing toward a white nation. That is really mm. almost explicitly said in their thing, but they don't quite say it, but they govern that way. They, they're governing toward that. That will be the result of their governance. So because our governs are our govern, our governments are moving in that direction all over the world, um, you can point to uh, Brazil and Australia and um, and even England is having to deal with this right yeah. now, right? With Brexit and all of that. Um, you, the church and businesses and NGOs are now being examined for the direction they're going in in a much more close way um, by those who would normally be mindless consumers of their products, mindless mindless. Um, uh, re- recipients of their services. People want to know um, which which side, which side are, you are you on? on? 
Exactly. Which side are you on? And so that third bottom line that we talked about earlier, the, the bottom line of equity, the bottom line um, that, that demands that if you say that your work will empower a community, that the process you put in place is an empowering process, that is looked at now. Because I think we've gone from more output focused, yes. where people didn't mind how it was done as long as it was done. Whereas I think now people are much more like, I want to see the input process. I want I want to see the steps you've taken yes. to get me there or yes. to get other people there or to get your whoever's getting there. I want to I want to see. And that will shift the power dynamics, as you say. And it's whether or not NGOs, churches, not for profits, businesses, whether or not actually they decide we just want to keep doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We're happy with the way it's going. Right. So what's the end for those people? And what do you think is actually the end for people who choose the other way? Hmm. Because I think mm-hmm. maybe what people have, what we have not yet done is envisioned what it could actually be if people took the other road. Oh, that's so good. What a great question. I think that for those who choose the, the way of two bottom lines, not three, then they will have a shrinking base yeah. from which to draw and they will this will it's a it's a numbers game it's just in the numbers and it's also in the spirit of the next rising generations yeah it is in the demands of the rising generations the rising generations gen um the millennials and gen z now in the united states um they are they have been born into into a world where a lot of the questions of human hierarchy are really literally not questions for them. Like they are in a world where their mantra is just let me be Yeah. like, let me be who I am. And therefore they're looking at their neighbors and they inherently recognize the, the full humanity in their neighbor. And they're looking for a world that reflects their value at the but at the, on the most basic level, the value of equity for all. That's not saying equality as in everybody has to be making an equal salary. Yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is fairness. What we're talking about is even playing fields, the, um, equitable um, access to stuff to resources, to education, to good food, to clean water, to clean air, to teachers, to to welcome in a society and so that the darker your skin does does not is not a measure of how much welcome you get at the border. Right? So that's what this rising generation which in the United States will be leading in just a few years. I mean it's literally Um, some, a lot of people say 2045, but actually there are other, there are other statisticians who, and also demographers who are looking and saying, actually it's 2035, which is just 15 Mm -hmm. years away. And so they will be on the rise in that time. I guess almost what you're saying is, or what I'm hearing (laughs) is that actually for people who do not shift their power dynamic storytelling, that actually they're more and more talking to themselves. They are going to be talking to a very a shrinking um, portion of the of the demographic, 
And that means their numbers will go down. Their funding will go down because fewer people will want to give to them. And it will mean that their capacity to actually do the good that they say they want to do will go down because the people who are in the communities that they are serving will trust them less and less because they will be looking for that third bottom line. Now, if you choose that third bottom line, if you are um, among the NGOs, the businesses, the, the church denominations, whoever you are who's listening to this, who chooses that third equitable bottom line that, that measures process as much as product, that makes sure that every point in the process is one that empowers and is equitable. Well, let me tell you, you have great numbers on your side because you have a growing demographic of people around the world. And by the way, um, you know, in England, in the United States, certainly, um, especially in the United States, at this point for the next 15 years, you probably have um, a majority people of European descent um, in the United States. But that is a very short window. In about 15 years, you're going to have a majority people of color in the United States. And what does that mean? That means that if you make this change now, you will be preparing your organization to be relevant, to maintain its relevance for forever, for the next century and centuries beyond on the most basic level, the level of um, the level of the demographic itself, of the people who need to be served itself. And mm. quite honestly, the people who should be leading in those organizations in 15 years um, who, who, and even let's say five years, let's say one year, because quite honestly, like we said earlier, we're already here. Yeah. So how, how do organizations really come alive to this fact in a way that you are not even doing what you are thinking you're doing yeah. by holding on to the way that you tell stories? I actually think that part of the, part of the, the need is to do donor, donor education for current donors, donor, um, immersive experiences where the donors themselves get to hear from the people. Like, I think that it's not enough just to just to have a transactional relationship with the donor. But if you think of your NGO as not only um, not only serving that that community, but actually being a bridge yeah. that knits the world back together, that the reality is, is that that community actually does need people with resources, yeah. but they don't need people with resources who don't understand what's going on in that community. They don't need people with resources who have an agenda that is other than the agenda of the people in that community. They don't need that. They need people who are going to partner with them and their vision. That's what they need. So if that NGO, when that NGO makes a decision to actually have a triple bottom line and begins to move their donors into relationship with the people on the ground through, first and fundamentally, through the process of storytelling, that, that will be um, a tectonic shift yeah. in the way that NGOs are funded and also their capacity to really create flourishing. Because fundamentally, the thing that is wrong with the world is that we have been broken apart from each other. Yeah. And the, the, one of the deepest breaks is that break between those with resources and those yeah. without. 
And if the middle person, if the NGO, the one who has relationship with both, is not doing the job to bridge, mm. to bridge that divide. And we do storytelling, we say, in order to bridge that divide. But how can we say we're bridging the divide without building relationships between the two? It. And it's like I used to say to people, we have to remember we live in a world now where the person you're talking about could very well see the way you're telling the story about yes. them. Yes. We, we live in a different world now. It's not because people are poor. They don't have mobile phones. Like this is not the reality of the situation. Right. Everybody got a and mobile phone. Everyone's got a mobile yeah. phone. And I remember being in Malawi and um, mm. the lady who was the case study. And I went twice. I got to meet her twice and really got to know her. And um, but yeah, she had a mobile phone. She was telling me how her husband's this and that was like calling her up on the phone and oh, all yeah. of this kind of stuff. And so, you know, we live in like, but in our yes. imaginations, because of the way we tell stories, that's not how we imagine her life to be. Yeah. That's deep? not what we imagine about her. We imagine that oh. she is somewhere plowing a field and and getting water from the well. And she is and, doing some of that. And swatting flies out of her eyes. <laughs> exactly. And, and yeah. she may very well be doing some of that. But what she's also <laughs> doing is listening to music on her mobile phone. Yeah. <laughs> yes, actually. And also doing business on her mobile phone. When I tell you that woman was so smart and so, yes. so forward thinking. And so I guess it's just in the storytelling. How do we not be surprised that she is smart? How do we mm. not be surprised that she has a mobile phone with music playing does it damage someone's willingness to give to her because she has a mobile phone mm. i don't think so mm. but well i mean i think actually it, it would it does it does and that's part of the reason why people go with the fly in the eyes picture as opposed to the woman on the mobile field doing, doing her business <laughs> to get more money for their ngo right but here's the thing i think that part of that education also has to do with the education of the reality of the spaces within which we are doing our work, educating our donors about, and this is something, this, this takes courage. It takes courage for people of European descent to look their own history in the face and own the impacts of that history today. I because like that. Not own the history. The you impacts. didn't do it, but own the impact and understand the impact that it still has today. Yes, because we have these wonderful organizations that we say are doing good. But if those organizations are doing good, kind of in a silo, not grounded in the reality of what happened on that land that made this need for the NGO in the first place, then any money that is funded funneled into that NGO is actually funding a project that ultimately cannot create full full flourishing of the people. Why? Because it is disconnected from the story these people lived. Do you think that NGOs actually should make it almost mandatory to do training around co around colonization and, and and the history of slavery? Yes. Yes. And I think that it should be required for the highest donors to go and stand on the land and talk to the people, not just to say, you know, how how do you make it through a day? Um, how do you need? I mean, you know, what, what do you, what do your people need? But but I want I would love to see NGOs create um, ways for their donors to go onto the land, stand on the land. And hear the history of colonization on the land, the whole history of the colonization told by the people that they are serving, mm. and hear from the people 
how were their how were their grandmothers, their grandfathers impacted? What were the what happened on this land to make it so that these people have to navigate life in this way? And I think it goes from I think we need to move from thinking we're helping to serving. Because mm-hmm. that's that's a mental mm-hmm. shift that we mm-hmm. now need to make because I'm not even sure serving. Okay. I'm going to push go back on. Even no, 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 that. go. Yes, no. I'm not even sure serving because I think a lot of people go actually already with the thing. I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to serve the poor. I mean, I think a lot of people already are there, but we also have to understand that you know we've all been taught. You know, the servant actually is the one with the power. The servant is the one who gets to determine how many beans get on that plate. <laughs> you know what I mean? The servant yeah. is the one who gets to determine mm. you know how many people sleep in this in this um, hut you know tonight or you know. That's that is the servant is the one with the power in those situations. I think there has to be a shift actually from from seeing it as hierarchy, any hierarchy, to seeing it as partner, okay. to seeing it as equal partner. And maybe not even actually equal partner, because quite honestly, the ones who whose land it is, they should actually be the ones who have the power of determination, of self-determination, mm. or they need to get to that place that needs to be the goal and the short-term goal, not the long-term goal. Well, I think we'll agree to disagree on that one because <laughs> I, ah. I, I, I still feel like I, I, I think we need to move to not the serving that we've kind of spoken about just now, like the lip service serving where we're saying we're serving, but we're not really serving. Okay. Actually, we're saying I'm serving in kind of like the Jesus serving way. So... Jesus was a servant, but really he was the king. And I and I feel like that's the mentality that we yeah. probably go in with the serving. Is well, like, can I just say very yeah. quickly that the reason why I push back against it is no, because no, no. we often yeah. go in saying yeah. even, we're going to be incarnational. <laughs> now, my friend, my, fr- my friend Soon Chan Ra, who you must talk to at some point if you haven't already talked to him. But my friend Soon Chan Ra um, has been doing some pretty deep thinking about mm-hmm. the the colonial impetus within within Christianity, yeah. right? Oh, well. <laughs> and so he talks about he talks about you know the movement towards incarnationality. Now, incarnationality is not a bad thing. Obviously, going and living with is not a bad thing. But all that comes with that is because what happens is you place yourself in the role of Jesus. Oh yeah, you <laughs> like like Jesus came to Earth and lived among the people and saved the people. We are now going to move into these black communities, these dark communities full of darkness and destruction. <laughs> and, we, and we are going to bring the light of God with us when we come into that community. We are going to serve that community yeah. right? like Jesus served us. So that's the only, that's the reason I push back. Maybe the word serve is because it's so loaded. Yes, and I, 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 And I guess maybe what I'm getting at is probably maybe serve is the wrong word, but I feel that... <laughs> true servanthood when I really think about okay how do Mm. I truly serve others not in this kind of I'm Jesus way but actually Mm. how do I really serve because actually even Jesus didn't have that mentality that came with his serving that's exactly right serving really just came from his heart and the condition of his heart for it was pure Mm. and think about it this way I mean Philippians tells us straight up what his heart was like he said it says he did not see grasping to be like God, even though he was God, mm. a thing. Instead, he emptied himself even unto the cross. So the question of servanthood, yeah. if you really want to be a servant like Jesus, yeah. then go, and go knowing all the way. that you're going to the cross. Yeah. Like that's that's how you serve like Jesus. The cross, death, is your goal. 
death to the, your job, death to your NGO, death, death to, your ego. to all of to your ego. And I think that's just such an interesting um, thing. And I guess that's why we need to find a new word for serve that's not loaded. Um, mm -hmm. So we just move from going, I'm going to help to actually Partner. partnering with someone doing it from a really pure heart like you say that has a pure intention mm -hmm. that this is actually nothing to do with me yes, and if I get no glory and if no one ever knows my name and if no one ever knows I came it wouldn't matter That's okay because, because it's not about because the end me. goal was reached right. which was this person was set free from whatever it was that was stopping them from living their best life and flourishing yes. and so I think that would just be a really interesting space for people to approach it from mm -hmm. I see people who maybe feel that they're doing that mm -hmm. but I can see where the power dynamics are really just coming into play and, and it seems unavoidable so what do you think is the biggest myth about power dynamics that we could bust if we could in a sentence or two <laughs> wow the biggest myth about power dynamics. I mean, I think I think that the number one myth about power dynamics that I run into is that they're not there. I think that that's actually, I think that we fool ourselves when we say that because our, our original intention was to go in and help, therefore, I don't need to worry about power because it's not, it's not an equation. I've already, I've already, by being here, I'm being good. Well, no. Every point in the process has an opportunity for domination or partnership. And the question at every point in the process, every point from the point where of the, of the decision to go in, of even the decision, making the when you made the decision, did you consult the people in the community? Did, did they, they want you to did come? Did they invite you to come? Did they, did they ask you to come onto their land? and set up shop and make money on their land from being on their land. And from their did pictures they, and their images. And, and from their images and their stories, right? Did they invite you from the first decision to go to the question of who will you hire to run the shop on the land to the question of how will you fund that shop on the land, whatever it is, to the question of how you will actually do it again, have you consulted with the with the impacted people? Not black people who come from another nation to come in and be, be a consultant. And now you've done your thing because you've consulted with a black person or a brown person who's not from the land. Right? Have you consulted with the people from the land about what happened on the land? to make them have to navigate life on that land in the way that they do. And you ask them what needs to be done. Yeah. Because that is the, that's the most empowering act because hands down, they know, they know what needs to be done. They've been living they live it. it. They live exactly. it every single day. I think one of the best moments I had in Malaria, I was just taking pictures and um, this one lady says, pay me. And, right. I, and I was like, and I was like, oh, she was like, pay me or no picture. Like she didn't speak English, she, but she made it very clear. And I was like, oh you Lord, know what? Good. That is exactly the kind of energy I need in my life every day. <laughs> she was kind of like, you are not wow. taking my picture. 
you are not taking my picture for nothing because they see us come Mm. and they see us go. And so she was just like, absolutely not. And I was like, maximum respect to this lady who is That's who has decided, she has decided I will not be a pawn in yeah. your game. Let me just say one other thing. This is actually really important. Um, there is a there's a theologian, her name is Andrea Smith, Dr. Andrea Smith. She's based out of Riverside, California. Um, and she has developed um, uh, something called Three Pillars of White Supremacy. And I literally swear by this now. And and what she's done is she's done a lot of work. And she's not the only person thinking about this, but she wrote an article that you can Google online. Just Google Andrea Smith, Three Willers, Three Pillars of White Supremacy. And this this article that she wrote, um, I think, is something for us to consider. She says the three pillars of white supremacy are the logics that are applied to different people group different people groups, and they are applied differently. The logics of white supremacy are applied differently to different people groups. So for people of African descent, in the, in the logic of white supremacy applies to people of African descent and says they exist to provide me, my pure person of European descent, with low-cost or no-cost labor. That's mm-hmm. what they exist to do. They exist to to be exploited for my flourishing. So even in the NGO space, the question has to be, if we are in African or African descendant places, is our work exploiting these people for no cost or low cost flourishing? You are flourishing. And you might even pay them, but you pay them pennies on what they're actually worth. You pay them dollars on what they're actually worth. Or, you know, take it into your own offices. When you look at, again, process matters. When you look at how you're paying your people, when you can do this, you can be honest with yourself. When you look across your own Excel sheet and you ask the question of who's getting paid what, when you look at the people of African descent in your NGO, how do their how do their salaries match up against the salaries of people of European descent who are being paid for comparable work? Are they being paid comparable salaries? I think what people need to face into is, am I actually what I say I am? Mm. Yes. Because, because that, that's it. Like, am I actually what I say I am? Because yeah. like you say, we're an NGO. We want everyone to flourish, but just not equally and not even here. And not even inside our own. Yeah, offices. not even not even here. We 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 don't actually allow everyone to flourish equally. And I think equitably. that is just so. It's such an interesting and and I know mm. that for some people listening, these are like tough conversations. They're listening because they do want change or that they recognise there's a need to change. But like we've mentioned earlier, even in our own humanity, the need to dominate, the want to dominate, the mm-hmm. want to be on top and not on the bottom Mm -hmm. is just something that resides in nearly all of us in whichever way we cannot be dominated most people want to try and do that i think that it's also really important for um so i think that's the thing is that people of european descent have been taught through their philosophers since at least 360 bc that they literally are the, the 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 full human beings on earth and everyone else needs to be civilized in order to bring them up close to that. But they can never really fully be that if they are not also of European descent. And actually, depending on where you are in Europe, it would be the Northern Europeans or the Western Europeans or, you know, that kind of thing. 
um, because hierarchy exists in major ways there through because of the history of domination. So while that's true, there's no understanding of the history in Africa. There's no understanding of the history of indigenous peoples around the world before European contact. I mean, if you even, one great project to do is literally just to Google indi- I mean, first peoples of whatever, just put, yeah. the, put the name in first peoples of and to find out who were the first people of the land. Usually what will happen is you'll find half a paragraph, maybe two sentences, um, in a, in a city or a town or, or a state that tells you a little bit about the first people pre-contact, pre-contact with Europeans. But then most of the history that they'll tell will be the history after there was contact. And they'll tell you who the discoverer was of these people, who discovered these people, <laughs> even though they were on this land for literally <laughs> 20,000 years before a European person got there. Um, you know, so there's, there's, there's a need to go into the history. And, and in terms of Africa, because I know that in the NGO space, so much of the work is focused there, even though Africa is actually one of the most entrepreneurial continents in the nation and right the now. Fastest growing economies. Fastest growing economy. And actually one of the greatest senders and of, of people who do small businesses around the world. So, um, but when you look at that history, I want to, I want to um, put a plug out and I'm not getting paid to do this and I don't even know the person, but I'm going to tell you, it's amazing. Henry Louis Gates, um, Africa's great civilizations. Watch that. Henry Louis Gates, Africa's great civilizations. You will see through this man, a historian's work in Africa that he just unfolds in six, you know, six episodes you get to see the way that our our picture, the way that we see people of African descent has been shaped in a way that is not true. Now mm-hmm. the question has to be, do you want the truth? Do you want to live according to the truth? Or would you rather continue in the lie? And on that note, because we could talk (laughs) on this subject for ages. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you so much for joining me today. This was fun. This was was really great. No, thank you. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks for taking time to listen and explore what it means to ethically tell stories with us. Make sure to visit ethicalstorytelling.com for more practical resources on ethical storytelling, including blog posts, new podcasts, and upcoming webinars. Please tell your friends about ethical storytelling. It's small and a labor of love, and we all do this because we want to see change. So help us spread the word with your family and friends. Before we say goodbye, we'd love to thank everyone that helped on the show this week. You all, the listeners, for tuning in. Kyle Hara for editing each episode. Lauren Ellis for web support. And music by Brooke for free. We'll see you next week.